0: Today, we're thinking about the next episode of the book of Exodus in our series, Stepping Out with a Saving God. We're going to read Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 to chapter 24, verse 18, and then we'll think about that together. So Exodus chapter 23, reading from verse 20. "'See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says.' Do not rebel against him, he will not forgive your rebellion, since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says, and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods, or worship them, or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you, until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Then God said to Moses, "Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to approach at a distance. Sorry, you are to worship at a distance. <clears throat> but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near." and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, <clears throat> and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone, with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his assistant. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain, Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights." And we finish our reading there, and this is God's Word. Our title for today is Covenanting with God. Covenanting with God. Talking about covenants, what is a covenant? Well, it's an agreement between different parties. It's a way of binding together to a set of agreed promises promises for life going forward. So uh, imagine a peace treaty between warring nations. The treaty, the covenant, sets out the terms of peace, the way to disarm and de-escalate, uh, the exchange of prisoners, the, 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 the aligning and placing of borders, the, the cooperation on rebuilding. That, that could be a kind of covenant. Or imagine a piece of land is being sold but there needs to be an agreement on what it can be used for. Can it be farmed? Can it be developed? Can it be used for housing or business? or for a whopping great motorway going right through. That agreement going forward, binding the buyer and the seller and the tenants together on certain promises, that could be a kind of covenant. And of course there's marriage. Uh, Tough time for marriage at the moment, tough time for people trying to get married. I've seen a few weddings pop up on social media, everyone all dressed up, but uh, very few people present. Doubtless a lot of other weddings are being canceled. Oh no, uh, postponed I should say. A tough time for people who are already married and maybe spending a lot more time together at home. Uh, One thing that's happening uh, as spouses work from home uh, in the current restrictions is that they see each other in work mode, taking telephone calls, hosting video meetings, all of that. Uh, One wife started a trend online when she said, I heard my husband in work mode today in a conference call. Turns out I'm married to a guy who says, let's put a pin in that and circle back later. Or another uh, woman who said, Turns out my husband can small talk, just not with anyone we know outside his work. Or one more who said, My partner is laid back and chilled about everything, never has much of an opinion or argument, but apparently at work he's super competent and speaks up and gets things done. It's very disorienting. Or one more, just to show that it does go in both directions. One husband said, My wife plans everything within an inch of our lives, but on work calls she's constantly saying, Let's play it by ear. Anyway, marriage is a covenant. Uh, we bind together with promises and, and commitment that define the whole relationship forever after. So, covenant. And Now, for a few Sundays, we've been watching on as God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt through the desert to the foot of Mount Sinai to make a covenant with them. He's going to bind Himself to them as they are to Him uh, in ways that define the whole relationship going forward. And it started a few chapters ago in chapter 19, here are verses 4 to 6. God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God has saved them out of Egypt. He will teach them how to live for him. He will stay with them, live with them and bless them. And they will show the whole world how good it is to belong to this God. So over the last two weeks, we've seen some of God's law laid out, first in the headlines of the Ten Commandments, then in the small print of chapters 21 to 23. And there will be more expanded versions and more detail to come. Uh, But in the meantime, today God confirms his covenant with Israel. Uh, We're going to take a look at what is said here and what happens here, and then we'll think about what it means for us today, because we are not the Israelites, and this covenant is not our covenant. Well, we'll get to that, but first, uh, God confirms His covenant with Israel. There's a a first of two headings if you're taking notes. Uh, God confirms His covenant with Israel. Now, we're going to spend most of our time uh, this morning under this heading as we figure out what's going on. Uh, We might loosely imagine this whole episode like a wedding. Marriage is probably one of our easier pictures of a covenant, so think of all this like a wedding. First, there are the vows, and the vows come in the second half of chapter 23. Then there's a commitment in the first half of 24, and finally a feast in the second half of chapter 24. So, first of all, the vows. Look at chapter 23 from verse 20, skim over it with me. What promises does God make, and what commitments does He lay out for Israel to promise as they do in, in 24 verse 3? and A couple of places they they say they're going to obey, don't they? Um, So here are God's wedding vows, if you like. Uh, Verse 20, God will give his people a new home. Verses 20 to 23, God will live with them. Verses 25 to 6, God will look after them. Verse 30, God will help them grow. And verse 31, God will make them safe and secure. It's a good set of wedding vows, isn't it? Uh, Good promises for Israel to receive. But while this wedding illustration may help, let's make sure we uh, do cover some of the details. Let's not just skim over it quite so lightly. Uh, So, God is going to send an angel. And I want to suggest that this is God himself, uh, particularly the pre incarnate Son of God. Uh, That is, uh, Jesus before he took on human form. God the Son uh, before he. Uh, came that first Christmas some 1500 years after this. I think uh, we can see that in other places that mentioned the angel of the Lord. So an angel uh, is an angel, but the angel of the Lord is often identified with God himself. And uh, one example, w- without even having to leave this book, is Exodus chapter 3, uh, in the first few verses. And they go like this, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And he led them to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, that's Sinai, the same place where he is now. Uh, And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And who does Moses uh, talk with when the voice speaks out of the bush? Well, he speaks with God. And so the angel of the Lord is identified as being God and also in some way being distinct from God. He's the one that people interact with in the Old Testament. He's the one who takes up residence in the tabernacle and the temple behind the curtain in the most holy place. He's the one who, in the New Testament, doesn't just appear like a human, but as a human, as he tabernacles among us. He he makes his dwelling among us. Um, uh, Jesus, in in John chapter 1, he was with God and he was God. Uh, I'm going to post a a little four-minute video uh, that covers this and you can ask me if you want more detail it's going to be uh, with the, the sort of prefab service plan on the green button on the church website uh, which is probably the only way you're finding this recording of them oh no it couldn't be anyway if you go to the, the church website the same week this sermon comes out you'll see that little video uh, via the green button on the home page Anyway, here in Exodus chapter 23, God promised us to send an angel saying, verse 21, pay attention to him and to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. So God doesn't say I will not forgive, but he will not because my name is in him. This angel is identified with God and yet also distinct from God. And I put it to you that this is uh, a little bit of early Trinity uh, thinking here. God the Son. Uh, So that's pretty great. God is going to live with his people from now on. A few other details. They're going to displace all these other nations that practice false worship and all sorts of awful stuff that goes along with that in the rites and the rituals. Uh, Later on when we see, uh, well, not in this series, but uh, if you read on and find out what, what these nations get up to, um, it's pretty grim, some of it. So uh, it's not unjust for God to drive them out. He's going to use Israel to do it. Uh, and that's going to happen bit by bit. There are a few practical reasons given, uh, but also it's going to help successive generations learn to trust God. And so those are the wedding vows that God makes. <clears throat> what about Israel's promises to God? What does God require of them? Well, verses 21 and 22, to borrow a little bit from, uh, from some wedding liturgy, To love, cherish, and obey. And verses 24 and 32 and 33, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. (laughs) Love, worship, faithfulness, and obedience to this God who will be with them in their new home, looking after them, helping them grow, keeping them safe and secure. Wedded bliss. And so God confirms his covenant with Israel, starting with those vows. Next comes the commitment in the first half of 24. Moses and the elders of Israel approach God and then convey the whole of God's law and his proposal, if you like, to the people, verse 3, and they say a collective, I do. And then Moses makes several sacrifices, burnt ones to show punishment for sin and fellowship ones to enjoy fellowship with God after the sin is dealt with. He reads the law, verse 7, the book of the covenant, which I take it is is what we've been reading in these weeks. Uh, in the last few chapters, and he sprinkles everyone with blood, which we're going to see later on is about being set apart for God like a spouse is set apart for, a, for one partner. Later on in the book, it's the priests who will be sprinkled, set apart for their service in the in the mobile temple, the, the tent, the tabernacle, uh, and everything that you, that's used in the tabernacle will be sprinkled as well and, and everything that's set apart for that worship system. Um, but here it's all of the people everyone set apart for God alone. People nowadays have all sorts of creative weddings. Uh, Get married skydiving, it's quite a short ceremony, (laughs) Uh, and mind you don't drop the rings. Get married scuba diving, waterproof mascara needed. Get married at the Titanic experience in Belfast, if you don't mind those vibes, you know, nothing's going to sink this marriage. Uh, Still, most weddings do not feature gory sacrifices and sprinkling blood on the white dress and all the guests. So what part of a wedding covenant is happening here in chapter 24? Is it the confetti? Probably not. I think this is the signing of the register. Here's the bit where both parties sign on the dotted line and make it legal. Here's a lot of blood and gore to say, I am all in here. Cross my heart and hope to die. It's a very serious scene, isn't it? Look at verse 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people who responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. And Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. In a wedding, you know that the signing of the register is serious and important. You can tell uh, because if you're the one getting married or if you're witnessing and have to write on the register yourself, uh, your hands start to sweat and shake and you forget how to hold a pen. And when you remember how to hold a pen, you discover you can't remember how to spell your own name. Uh, And even worse, if you're the minister and you know how complicated it is if someone makes a mistake. And here in Exodus, this covenant is a, a serious commitment like making vows and signing on the dotted line. But much like a wedding, uh, the serious part of the day gives way to the real fun and pleasure and privilege. The vows and the commitment pave the way for fabulous feasting and awesome intimacy. Just take a second to look at verses nine to 11. Don't worry about uh, Nadab and Abihu, they're here because uh, we'll need to know later that they had no excuse for what they will get up to. Uh, Aaron too, for that matter, actually. Uh, Anyway, picture the scene, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up uh, and verse 10, they saw the God of Israel. Under His feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. Why are they commenting on that? Maybe because they had to divert their eyes. Uh, But God did not raise up His hand against these leaders of Israel. Uh, They saw God and they ate and they drank. What a wedding feast that is. The shed blood and covenant promises lead to a meal in the presence of God. I say that again because if we're Christians, that should ring a couple of bells with us, shouldn't it? The shed blood and covenant promises lead to a meal in the presence of God. Come back to that. And then for Moses, a kind of honeymoon with God? Maybe that's stretching the picture now, but worth seeing that Moses goes up the mountain and is absent for the next six weeks. Um, and we'll see what the people get up to while he's away. Uh, But verse 15, When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed there forty days and nights. So all in all, the shed blood and covenant promises lead to a meal in the presence of God uh, and indeed His ongoing presence with His people. God confirms His covenant with Israel. And all of this might feel fairly far removed from us, but it is a remarkable episode in history, isn't it? The, The God of creation, the God who closed Adam and Eve out of paradise, out of his presence when they turned against him. He has pursued humanity to this point where he commits and covenants to dwell with them again and bless them again, and so to show the whole rebelling world that the real way to thrive and flourish is under his good and generous and loving rule after all. And before we move on, let's ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that the real way to thrive and flourish is God's way under His good and generous and loving rule. From what you know of God uh, and of the way He would have us live, what ways in your life are you pushing back against Him, trying to go your own way? And how's that working out for you? Or what ways does our whole society swim against the current of God's will? Um, Sexuality? Gender? The idea that we are not separate from our bodies so that a different me can exist inside a shell, or whole areas like greed and worship of wealth, or our collective disdain for the poor or the foreigner or for other people who aren't like us, or our refusal to rest. Working our socks off 24-7 never stops. And the question is, how is any of that working out for us? Are we becoming healthier and happier and more stable and more safe and more secure and more kind? Or are we most confused and frustrated in the areas where we're pushing hardest against what our Maker desires? I'll leave that with you to think about. But as I said last week, we are not Israelites of three and a half thousand years ago. And as I said earlier, this covenant is not our covenant. This episode of Exodus does not describe the way we relate to God. But it does drop some pretty big hints of what's to come in the Bible's grand storyline. So God confirms His covenant with Israel. Uh, We've covered that. And here's our other heading for this morning. God previews His covenant with us. God previews His covenant with us. Just in case you were wondering how you might go about sacrificing and burning and sprinkling blood without getting arrested, uh, let me quickly reassure you that everything we've read today is now what we call the old covenant And we get to call it that because as Jesus passed around the wine at the Last Supper the night before His own gruesome death and shed blood, He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In the new covenant, the Passover lamb that protects the people from judgment so that they can belong to God is replaced by the Lamb of God, Jesus, who absorbed that judgment for us at the cross. In the new covenant, the presence of God in the violent quaking and fire on the mountain of Sinai is replaced by the presence of the Spirit in every believer, symbolized at Pentecost by a violent wind and uh, flames of fire settling on each one. In the new covenant, the presence of God with His people through this angel of the Lord is replaced by the coming of Jesus who made His dwelling among us, John 1 and who sends His Spirit to dwell in us and walk with us on our journey home. In the New Covenant, the law of Moses that was written on tablets of stone is replaced by the law of the the Spirit which is written on our hearts so that we want to obey it. In the New Covenant, the never-ending sacrifice of animals to atone for sin and clear the way for fellowship is replaced by one sacrifice, once and for all, done and dusted of Jesus Himself to pay for our sin fully and forever to tear that curtain and open the way to God. In the new covenant, the meal for the elders of Israel in the presence of God is replaced first by the meal for the church of Jesus around his table, sharing bread and wine to remember and proclaim his death. And then even that will be replaced or, or more accurately fulfilled as we enter the presence of God himself for the wedding banquet of Jesus and his church. The Apostle John had a vision of it. And he, uh, he saw uh, angels and crowds rejoicing, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Uh, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's Revelation 19. And then 21 there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And so, the shed blood and covenant promises of Jesus lead to a meal in the presence of God our Father. So, what should we do uh, with all this, other than other than sort of sit here slack jawed at how it all fits together and how much better it is to be uh, with Jesus in His new covenant. Well, let me make three suggestions, in line with the three sections of our passage. Uh, in Exodus, we've covered the wedding vows and the wedding commitment and the wedding feast. So, in keeping with those, do these three things: listen to the promises of Jesus, trust in the death of Jesus and look forward to the feast with Jesus. First, listen to the promises of Jesus. What were those promises uh, God made in chapter 23? Uh, Let's just uh, go over them again. So verse 20, God will give His people a new home. Well, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I am going there to prepare a place for you. In verses 20 to 23, God said He would live with them Well, Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. In verses 25 and 6, God promised to look after them. Well, Jesus said, I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Verse 30, God said he would help them grow. Well, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. In verse 31, God promised to make the Israelites safe and secure. Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. These are the promises of Jesus to those who trust and follow Him. And to be honest, they were, the only, they were only the first few that I, I laid eyes on as I flicked through John's Gospel looking for similar themes. Listen to the promises of Jesus. Second, trust in the death of Jesus. Let me give you one little bit from John's Gospel again. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus gave his life to give us life. He died so that you might live. He bled and died for you. Will you trust Him? Will you trust that He has already died your death and paid your debt to set you free? Trust in the death of Jesus. So, listen to the promises of Jesus. Trust in the death of Jesus. And third, look to look forward to the feast with Jesus. Before sharing the Last Supper with the disciples on the night before He died, Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus ate and drank with them after his resurrection, but he has a different occasion in mind here. It's the true wedding supper of the Lamb, the banquet of the kingdom in honor of our bridegroom and our King, Jesus, uh, so that when all is said and done, when the big day is finally here, uh, we're together forever at last. Listen to the promises of Jesus trust in the death of Jesus, and look forward to the feast with Jesus. And so there it is. God confirms His covenant with Israel It's ancient. It's interesting, but it's not a patch on the proposal He makes to us in Jesus. It's only a preview of the new covenant. So say yes to Jesus. Listen to His promises trust in His death, and look forward to His feast. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this little slice of history that You preserved for us in Your Word. Thank You for the window it gives onto the kind of God You are, determined to reverse the curse and to pour out Your blessing and Your presence. And thank You for the window it gives us unto the kind of Savior we have in the Lord Jesus, As we, like the Israelites, walk through this life on a sometimes difficult path towards your promised rest, would you teach us to trust you? Would you train us to obey you until you take us to be with you, knowing that we can do all of this with confidence and with joy because Jesus has died and risen again to seal and secure us in himself forever? And we ask it all in his name. Amen.